0: can you hear me yeah good so um, the story that I want to tell you um, is a story about naivety it's about my naivety but it's also about food which I guess you're all here to listen to me talking about and about politics and um, it starts in the 1980s when I was uh, roughly 14 and um, my school, which was a progressive school in West Jerusalem, decided to organize a series of meetings between us kids and uh, Arab kids from, uh, from um, a neighboring area. Um, the, uh, the idea was to get, in, get to know each other and start trying some way to eliminate prejudice, to uh, bring hearts together, and all, all in all a very, very uh, positive initiative. Um, I, I just have to make a little cl- clarification. That the, the kids that we were going to meet are actually Israeli Arabs, and most of the Arabs, um, uh, the Palestinians that get attention in the media, are actually Palestinians from the West Bank and Gaza. So um, the, the Arab kids that we're gonna meet, we were going to meet were actually Israeli, fully, fully fledged Israeli citizens and uh, even though they are uh, full Israeli citizens with all the rights, or almost all the rights, regrettably, um, they were very alien to us, they were very different, the Arabs and the Jews in Israel, the, the, Israeli, uh, the, Israeli, the Jews and the Arabs, they live very separate lives. Uh, they go to different schools, they live in different villages and towns, they, they speak a different language, although most Arabs actually speak Hebrew. But the lives are very, very separate and um, the idea was to sort of break those boundaries a little bit and bring us together. And it is really not a sort of, it's not a something that you can take for granted because I can honestly say that I don't think, probably 99.9% of the Jews have never stepped into an Arab house and vice versa, it's, the, the rift is that big. So this initiative was quite good and um, prior to going, in, to going to meet our, our Arab friends, as, they call, as, as the teachers call them, we, they actually had to prepare us because I think they were a little bit worried that some sort of um, nasty truths are going to come out, you know, prejudice and bigotry and all sorts of things that are sort of very, very, very prevalent in, in this society. So we had, uh, we, we were prepared, so we had classes where we were told what to do and what not to do, what to do in an Arab house, how to deal, it, it, it was as funny as that, but that, that was the reality. Um, so. Um, one evening i I was invited the first the first meeting was when i went when I went to my friend's house my Arab counterpart, his name was Maher, he was about my age thirteen or fourteen He was a bit shy, a nice guy, but you know uh, after a while we, we we sort of hit it on and we 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 became quite quite friendly with each other and As I walked into his house, he took me to his room and there was his bed and there was the bed I was supposed to sleep in, which was about half the size. It was his youngest brother's, but he he was vacated for the night and I I got his bed. Um, Then we had dinner and um, we were taken to the dinner table. Meyer took me to the dinner table and I was a bit shocked because it was him and and his father and myself and the little brother, but the mother and the sister were serving us and uh, it was all really, very very nice and I, I, uh, I remember in the back of my mind the whole time this experience was uh, my teacher from school saying you know you eat everything you're given right you don't say no don't be spoiled and don't be childish and don't try to don't offend them you know you go to an Arab house and it's just not polite to say no for food so me being me and i love food and I still do and I, everybody knows it I'm, I'm I, I am a bit of a pig um, I, I ate every little thing that was put on my plate. And as soon as I finished, I was on, on the side, I saw the mother coming back with another full plate with the same <laughs> other food that I got before. And I really didn't have any problem finishing it. It was just wonderful uh, lamb meat balls and cucumber salad and all fresh and beautiful. And I finished that. And then as soon as I finished that, I was, you can imagine the rest <laughs> of the stuff. So th- that, was, that was dinner. As, in, as soon as we finished dinner, we went to sit in the, in the, in the living room and watch TV. My father, his father, Maher, my friend, and myself. And again, we got wonderful sweets, baklavas of various sorts, and Arab coffee. Big, big full glasses of Arab coffee. And I, I have to admit that this was really the first time I've actually had a coffee in my life. And not to not to mention this sort of very strong syrupy Arab coffee with lots of sugar and the sediment on the bottom. And you know, I sort of went like that and had the whole thing, and it was, I sort of like, I got it out of the way, and then as soon as I finished that, she was back with <laughs> guess, some more. <laughs> and um, now I just want you to imagine what it was like to go to bed this tiny little thing, and I'm stuffed to the gills with food. I just couldn't move, and enough caffeine in my blood to sort of send me to the moon and back. And so it was an awful, awful night. I couldn't, I couldn't close an eye for the whole evening. And uh, the next day, I was just a total wreck, you know. We had to go to the village, and he took me to all his favorite restaurants, but I couldn't eat a f- thing. I, I felt horrible, and, and that was, uh, that was uh, the end of the story. And that just a little, a little insight into what it's like to be part of a national project, you know, of reconciliation. <laughs> um, the ironic end to the story is that when Maher came to my house about two months later for... Uh, reciprocal visit he didn't eat anything. (laughs) My mother made her famous, my grandmother's famous uh, pasta with ragu that's a recipe that goes down centuries in, in the family he just said very politely I don't like pasta. And that was the end of the story. But um, the the point I'm trying to make is really, um, this is just one example of how inextricably related food, politics, current affairs, social life are uh, related in the part of the world where I'm coming from. So much so that it really is sometimes quite difficult to to separate the two two worlds. And I've got plenty of examples. all of you know what falafel is, but it can be quite a contentious thing. You know, falafel is actually an Egyptian dish or a snack that is spread all over the Levant over the years. And then come the Israelis and they've just appropriated it. They turned it into their own, you know, it's a national dish. And you may laugh, but for the Palestinian, it's actually a case of uh, you know, culinary colonialism because that's another thing that's being taken away from us. So we're talking about quite serious stuff. Another example is the um, is the way uh, Jews or Israeli Jews talk about Arab food. You know, they never call it Arab food as such. It's called. Mizrahi, which actually translates as Oriental. And it's, it's um, so they, they would sometimes say Arab food, not too often, but they would never ever, God forbid, say Palestinian food. And it's, again, another indication of how deep this thing goes, because it is a Palestinian food or Lebanese food, but you don't call it that name. It's Oriental food, and it's the national food, but you just don't, don't say it, it's a bit like Eating beef and not a cow, you know, you create a certain distance between between the harsh reality and and when, what what actually happens on the plate. So, um, so you, th- these are all little little things, but they are actually quite quite good examples of the point that I'm trying to make. Another little one that I, I'll say before I move on to a more contemporary a more contemporary moment is. Um, Jericho, I'm sure you all have heard about, about this amazing city that has, has been in the, one of the, it's probably the oldest city in the world. Um, and this was a place where we used to go on weekends. My dad used to take my sister and my brother and myself there f- to eat on weekends. It was only about 45 minutes drive from Jerusalem and it was the most amazing, sensual place you can just imagine. It's the, it's o- it's the oldest city in the world, but it's also the lowest. So it's very, very, it's in the Dead Sea. It's, it's very hot and humid. And as soon as you get in there, you start smelling oranges and bougainvillea plants and, fla- and flowers, it's all very it's all very rich and very, very sensual. And we used to go there almost every Saturday to eat. There was restaurants on the streets serving meat on the grill and uh, fresh orange juice. They grow the best oranges in Jerusalem only for juicing. And um, and then one day in the late 1980s, there was the first Intifada, the first Palestinian uprising. And all of a sudden, the place was off-limits for us. We couldn't go to Jericho after that. And uh, I haven't been since. And, and I, I, I know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a big deal. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's one thing, it's one political development, but it just uh, it's another way of showing how things sort of happen in this world where food and politics are so intricate. So, in my world, Jericho was the place you go and eat good food and experience sort of that type of sensuality and all of a sudden, it's, it's off the limit, you cannot go anymore. And, I, and that, that is something that goes on in my head quite a lot, like how can I replicate the experience? But it's, it's not available anymore, it's part of the Palestinian territory, it's not, it's not Israelis cannot go there anymore. So, um, these are the f- a few examples. And then I'd like you to fast forward about ten years, and I came here to England, And I was under the impression that over here in Europe, civilized Europe, people will never mix food and politics in such a way. I had this this idea that. in a way, how can, you, how can you contaminate this pure hedonistic experience of eating with all that nonsense and all these people's problems and stuff? People in Europe here are mature enough to sort of eat properly and not fight and not, and not squabble and not, not have these rivalries. And for a while, I, um, I, was, I kept this impression intact. And then um, I set up on my culinary career uh, when I came to, to, um, to, to London in 1997. And I have to say that there actually were a few examples of food mixing up with politics that I sort of experienced over the years. First of all, I I took a few courses at the Cordon Bleu, and uh, a very famous cookery school, I'm sure you've all heard of it, and uh, this is probably the best place to see a a great example of French national chauvinism. (laughs) This is where there are no other food counts in the world apart from French cuisine, and the most typical example was that the whole course was about six months course, and at the end there was um, there was a, a, a class under the title "Other Foods," and with <laughs> and in that class, which which was probably a couple of hours, we learned about Thai, Indian, Italian, and English cuisines. <laughs> so that's a, that's a typical example. And then you and then you know further on, I, I kept on living there, and I've lived I've been living here ever since. I have seen how. Uh, food and politics do, do mix in this country as well, I mean, um, obviously there was the uh, Michelin and chef wars, you know, everybody wants to win a Michelin star and when you're in the restaurant business it's big, 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 big issues, you know, p- lives and deaths, it's, people are very, very serious about it. Uh, late, and then there is the issues of organic and fair trade and all those elements where food and politics do get, do get mixed up and combined. But Going back to where I started, it's nothing like the life and death sort of experience that I, I always had in my, in my, uh, in my imagination from, from growing up and as in my experience. And, uh, and it, it, just, it just feels a, a little bit sort of a take it or leave it type of politics, it's a middle class type of politics where things you can dwell on, you can talk about, you can, you can add food. To your other daily discussions, but actually, it's not—it doesn't matter to people that much as much as as what I've experienced until I, I arrived here. And uh, in 2002, I opened um, Otto just around the corner in, not- in on Ledbury Road, and uh, maybe one or two of you have been there, but the rest of you will have to come and visit one day. And um, I uh, I opened it up with a group of people. One of the main partners and creative force was Sami, the person who, who has been running the company with me since, and he's a Palestinian and an Arab. And no one said anything. It was a, really, a real surprise. I couldn't believe like, it, it. did never actually draw any bit of attention that you know there is a partnership here between a Jewish Israeli and a Palestinian and all works and everything is you know hunky dory. So uh, so it, it was actually quite a quite refreshing experience in a way because we some in our great friends and no one no one said anything about it and it was it's quite nice. And uh, so things things were, were, were going really well and after a couple of years we decided to open another another shop and expand and then we we found this uh, very sort of nice leafy neighborhood in in london called islington and we thought oh that would be a nice place for another Ottolenghi and uh, and we did open another uh, restaurant there and it all uh, and it also did pretty well and um, was quite successful and got great reviews and everything was going well and then uh, one day i was sitting i think it was 2004 or 2005 i was sitting uh, at the table in islington and having dinner and next to me was sitting another woman and she was having her dinner and with a friend and she looked like a very sort of nice and civilized person. And uh, she, we got talking and someone sort of mentioned to her that this was my business and she wanted to know all about it. And then she asked me where I was for, from and I said, well, I, I'm from Israel. And she, I could see that it was not good. And, I, and she, was, she was not happy. And... Um, but, you know, she sort of forgave me. And when she heard that another partner in the business is a Postilian, she her heart warmed up again. And she said, oh, that's lovely, and, you know, it's really nice. And then she asked me a little bit more about the business. And I told her that when we just opened, we first, uh, my first shop was in Notting Hill. She wanted to know all about it. And when I said nothing here, I could see that now she was getting really upset and her sort of whole face clouded up and she was, she was really sort of seriously, seriously tormented by something. I couldn't tell what it was. And then um, I got this and this is the reaction. I'd like to read it because I couldn't, I couldn't quite uh, make it as well as, as she did. She said, she, she go, uh, so she says to me... You know, this is all really, really, really great. I'm, I'm telling you, it's just fantastic, the two of you working together in harmony. It's just, it's just great. I just can't believe, though, that from all the places in London, you had to open your first shop in Notting Hill. Then she looked me straight in the eye and she says, did you know that this is now the heart of the Tory party? <laughs> then she, paused, she looked me again in the eye and says, Shame on you and she stormed off. Thank you.